Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. I recently heard the story of a person who had a doctor's appointment first thing Monday morning. Not exactly the way you want to start your week off. Uh, he had gotten some tests done a while back, and so the doctors called, and they wanted to come and discuss the results of the test. And so he gets to the doctor, and the doctor comes in and says, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? The man says, all right, just, just give me the good news. He said, well, we looked at your tests. The good news is you have a week left to live. What? How could that possibly be the good news? What's the bad news? doctor said, the bad news is we've been trying to call you since last Monday. <laughs> what would you do if you found out you had seven days left to live? I bet a lot of us would, would say, you know, I'd travel. I'd, I'd go to all the places that I always wanted to go but never had the opportunity, and I'd make sure I'd pack it in. I bet others would say, you know, I'd much rather spend intimate moments with the people I love the most, my family, my friends. Some of you would say, I would just eat whatever I want. Pizza topped with fried chicken, slathered in peanut butter, and slapped between two donuts. Rah, you know, I'm going to die anyway, right? I bet, I bet a lot of us have different ideas of what we would do. But here's the reality. Most of us will never know how much time we have left to live. Some of you may have seven days to live. Some of you may have seven years to live. Some of you may have seven minutes to live. We don't know. We can't know for sure. Jesus, it was a different story. Jesus knew his hour was coming. And when he came to Jerusalem after three and a half years of public ministry, he knew the clock was ticking. You see, Jesus traveled around from city to country uh, teaching and preaching. He was telling everybody that he's the Messiah, God in the flesh, coming to die for the sins of the world. And over the course of three and a half years, he picked up a lot of followers, but he also picked up a few enemies too. And according to the enemies, Jesus started off first as an annoyance, and then he became a threat, and then ultimately became a target. And the enemies of Jesus were literally plotting for a way to kill him. And so if Jesus wanted to live he needed to stay away from Jerusalem. And yet, in Jesus' final week, he had straight into the heart of Jerusalem. And with that, he signed his own death certificate. And so today, we are launching into a brand new series about the last week of Jesus' public ministry that we're calling Seven Days to Live. Now, I have to say right out of the gates that the, the title of the series is a bit misleading. And here's why because we operate from a different calendar than Jesus had in his day. See, we use the Gregorian calendar, which was put in place by Pope Gregory, and it's a calendar based on the solar year, how many days it takes for the, for the planet to go around the sun. But the calendar they used in Jesus' day was the Hebrew calendar, which is not based on a solar year, it's based on a lunar year. So they measured the year differently in terms of months. Some years there was more months than others. Days were measured from sunrise to sunset, which makes it very difficult to pin down the exact timeline of Jesus' final week. 
On top of all of this, the gospel accounts about Jesus are not necessarily in chronological order. So it makes it very, very difficult for us to get an accurate timeline. But with great humility and great study, I'm going to try to do that very thing to help us to, to see what these last days of Jesus looked like. But more importantly, I want you to care about it. Because how Jesus spent the time in his final days could have massive impact on how you and I spend time in our final days. And so today we're going to look at Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is typically referred to as Palm Sunday. Now where we stand right now in the calendar year, Palm Sunday is still four Sundays away. So we're having a message about Palm Sunday, and it's not Palm Sunday? Yes. And here's why. Because typically when we get to the actual Palm Sunday, we say, look at all the stuff that happened before Jesus went to the cross and, and rose again. And we skip, we, we skip by it. We, we jam it all in. And I want to give it the time and attention it deserves. And so over the next several weeks, taking us into Easter and a few after, I want us to really dig in and look at how Jesus spent these final days. And I really believe this, that if you'll engage with the fasting challenge and if you'll endure with us through this message series, I believe this journey could change your life. So today, we are going to begin in the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 12 looking at Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. It's recorded in all four of the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll weave in and out of many of them so that we can get a complete picture. But to kick our time off today, we're going to be in the gospel of John, chapter 12. So read along with me, beginning in verse 12. It says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So I don't know what you picture Palm Sunday was like. I know for me, I used to think of it like everybody was in the city of Jerusalem and they're waving the palm branches. But the truth is, that party started long before Jesus got to Jerusalem. It said there was a great crowd coming for the festival. What festival? The big festival, Passover. This is the festival where the Jewish people commemorated God delivering them out of Egyptian slavery into freedom. And so that hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would all come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate. They'd bring a, a Passover lamb, a sacrificial lamb to sacrifice. It was a whole big thing. And so thousands of these pilgrims were coming. It's kind of like you heading into Pasadena on New Year's Day. And you're, you're stuck in traffic. Where are all these people going? The same place you're going to the Rose Bowl Parade, right? This is, this is what was happening. There was this huge crowd, and they were already shouting before Jesus got there. And before Jesus would arrive in Jerusalem, he would need to secure a special mode of transportation. And for that, let's go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 29. It says, 19, 29, As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now back then, to ride on an animal that no one else has ever ridden on before, was this animal was considered to be suitable for holy purposes. What more holy purpose than the arrival of King Jesus? Continues in verse 35. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. This was a customary practice uh, for welcoming royalty. 
You take your own coat off and you lay it before the animal that the king rides on. And so what these people were doing is they were acknowledging Jesus as their king. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Anthony and I were in Israel, and we actually were at a lot of these places. The Mount of Olives was one of them. I got a picture of, up here on the screen of it right here. And uh, that's me sitting at the Mount of Olives, and behind me is the great city of Jerusalem. And to get to Jerusalem, you have to go down the mountain and then back up to Jerusalem. It's an elevated city. And so anytime you read in the scripture, when somebody goes to Jerusalem, they go up to Jerusalem. doesn't matter if they're coming from the north or the south, they go up. And, and so that's, that's what we got a chance to do, that, that very thing. And uh, Jesus would have come down that mountain and then entered into the city. This is, this is uh, what it looked like. We actually, I got some video footage of it to give you an idea of what these narrow streets look like. This is walking down the Mount of Olives. So imagine this place packed with thousands of people waving palm branches, putting their cloaks down on the ground as Jesus was coming through here. In fact, from Jerusalem, people would have seen this crowd snaking its way down the Mount of Olives, shouting, Hosanna, blesses the King of Israel. Pilate himself, the governor of Rome, would have seen the Jewish people celebrating, welcoming their king as Jesus approached. And then finally, he got to the city. Let's go over to Matthew's gospel, Matthew 21, verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. So, so, the, so the party that started on the way down the Mount of Olives now spilled into the streets of Jerusalem. So there's already hundreds of thousands of people packed in here, and they hear screaming and shouting and songs and palm branches. I mean, it would have been a, a massive scene. Remember, the enemies of Jesus, they, they were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Well, things just got a whole lot more complicated now because the crowd was going nuts. And so here's how the enemies of Jesus responded Go back to John 12, verse 17. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. There's a lot of irony in that statement. Religious leaders upset that the world is following Jesus. And what's, what's so interesting for them is that a huge part of this crowd was there because Jesus raised a guy named Lazarus from the dead. And instead of saying, wow, Jesus can perform miracles, he could raise people from the dead, we ought to listen to what he has to say. All they could think of is, he's got to go. We got to get rid of him. He's messing up our system. Instead of just realizing that maybe this actually is the Messiah that we've all been waiting for. And so I want you to picture the, the chaos of this scene. All of these people jammed into these, these streets, all screaming Jesus' name. You got the enemies of Jesus claiming defeat. You got the, the people of Israel claiming victory. 
You got the 12 disciples of Jesus. They were probably thinking, yes, finally, we're on the winning team. I mean, look at this, that the crowd is pulsating. Hosanna, the king of Israel is here. And what they thought was this was the king who was going to finally lead us in a revolt and take down the Roman Empire. All right, he's here. Jesus is charismatic. He's popular. Let's follow him. And so they're all shouting, Hosanna. And yet a couple days later, their cries changed from Hosanna to crucify him. Just a couple days later, Jesus was nailed to the cross. Just a couple days later, the king of the Jews breathed his last breath. What happened? What happened in such a short amount of time where everyone was praising and shouting to the point where Jesus was killed? What happened is so relevant to you and I today. You see, what happened was people got caught up in the crowd. It's easy to get caught up in the crowd, isn't it? You know, a crowd is, is a measure of success. If you've got a crowd, you're doing something right, especially in today's world. We live in an attention economy. It's not about how many dollars you have. It's about how many followers you have. And we get caught up in that, don't we? We, we want to please the crowd. I bet many of you have followed the crowd. I bet many of you have hidden in a crowd. I bet some of you have even been pressured by a crowd to do things outside of your own character, things you regret. I wonder if you were ever at a wedding reception, trying to stand on the fringe and not call any attention to yourself, and suddenly a dance circle formed in the middle, and the crowd started chanting your name. You don't dance, but yet the crowd kept calling you. Next thing you know, you're jumping in the middle doing some cringy dance that your entire family is now immediately denying they ever know you. And then you come out and go, I don't know what came over me. What came over you was you got caught up in the crowd. That we got to give the crowd what they want. And this crowd all got worked up that here's Jesus, the, ki the, the king who's going to help us take down the evil empire. There's just one problem. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the power of Rome. Jesus came to overthrow the power of sin. Jesus didn't come to be a superstar. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. Jesus didn't come to do the will of his followers. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. What was the Father's will? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came as the Messiah, the Son of God, to lay his life down for the sins of the world. That's why he came, and the people missed it. Jesus was the king they needed, but Jesus was not the king they wanted. And once they realized that Jesus was not going to meet their expectations, they jumped off the bandwagon just as fast as they jumped on it. And friends, there, there are so many things that we can learn from, from just this account, but for the sake of our time today, I want to boil it down to, to two principles that I think are so key. 
And it's all about being a genuine follower of Jesus, not just a person caught up in the crowd. And here it is. Followers of Jesus both believe the right thing and submit to the right king. Can we say that out loud together? Following Jesus is both believing the right thing and submitting to the right king. Let's break these down in a little bit more detail, starting with that first statement, that following Jesus is believing the right thing. Now, I bet if you were to poll the world today and say, what do you believe about Jesus? You'd get a whole gamut of answers. You might get answers like, uh, well, Jesus accepts me for everything that I do, doesn't care about what I believe or how I live my life. He just he accepts me fully without judgment. You may get some people who say, uh, Jesus was a, a great religious leader, but no more important than any other religious leader uh, of the world. You may even find some people who say, you know, Jesus was a man-made fable, you know, trying to, invented by religion to control people. You'd probably get a whole lot of answers. See, people have beliefs that they've developed about Jesus that come from somewhere. Not long ago, I was listening to a podcast that's hosted by a couple of celebrities who would never claim themselves to be Christian. And it was interesting because the subject of Jesus came up. So I leaned in a little bit more. I'm like, I want to hear what, what celebrities who don't follow Jesus think of Jesus. And I remember one of them said, Jesus had common sense. <laughs> has there ever been a more crowd-like thing to say than Jesus has common sense? Meaning, what most people believe must surely be the thing that Jesus also believes. Which is funny, because if you read about five minutes of any of the gospel accounts about Jesus, you will find that what most people found to be common in their belief was the very thing Jesus challenged. In fact, it was Jesus himself who said these words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus' point is, the crowd, the masses, they're going down the road of destruction. That's always going to be the popular way. And friends, I can tell you right now, following Jesus will never be the popular way. See, Jesus had compassion on the crowds, but he was never impressed by them. In fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry, he often tried to thin the crowds down. And he said right here, only a few people are going to go down the narrow road. Does that sound like common sense to you? Quite the opposite. You see, so many people believe the wrong thing about Jesus. Jesus constantly preached to people the right thing. And if they would have listened for just five seconds, they would have heard what Jesus was trying to say. You know what's interesting? When, when you look at the gospel accounts about Jesus' life, there's a question that came up more than any other topic in the entire gospel accounts, and that was the kingdom of God. Jesus' enemies and his followers would ask him all the time, hey, when is the kingdom of God coming? And what they meant was, when is it that we're going to take up arms and we're going to overthrow the oppressor? That's actually what they meant. And Jesus tried to explain it to him. Here's an example in John chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, king, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, 
nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus kept saying to people, the kind of kingdom I'm leading is not the kind of kingdom you're talking about. The way that you be a part of the kingdom of God is you follow Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, that's where the kingdom is. So when you obey Jesus, when you live out your faith in Jesus, you are participating in the kingdom of God. And people heard that and thought, yeah, 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 but when's the kingdom of God coming? They just weren't getting it. They were not believing the words of Jesus. And and when it comes to what we believe about Jesus, we have all kinds of sources. What most people think what the news station thinks, what YouTube thinks, what I feel. Friends, that's believing the wrong thing. If you want to know what to believe about Jesus, you have to look to his word. His word is so powerful. And the religious leaders of all people should have known better. They were complaining about everyone following Jesus, and they didn't even realize what was happening right under their noses. Just this past week, I had a conversation with a teenager who asked me, what makes Christianity the right religion? There's tons of other religions in the world. They all have a holy man. They all have a holy book. What makes Christianity any different? Well, there's a lot of evidence you can point to, but one of the most unique aspects of the Christian faith is all of the fulfilled prophecy in Jesus. And this entry into Jerusalem had several aspects of that fulfilled prophecy. For example... The Old Testament prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. This was written 500 years before Jesus was ever born. Five centuries before Jesus came marching into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, A prophet named Zechariah wrote about the king of the Jews entering Jerusalem on a donkey. It was being fulfilled right in their midst. And that's just one prophecy. Here's another one. This one's fascinating. This is Ezekiel 43. It says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Many Jews believe that this is talking about the Messiah entering the city through the east gate, and they're all still waiting for Messiah to come. Here's what's fascinating. I showed you earlier this picture of me sitting on the Mount of Olives, and that's Jerusalem right behind me. Now, just over my shoulder is the east gate right there. This would have almost certainly been the gate that Jesus walked through when he came down the Mount of Olives. Just at the bottom is a certain garden called Gethsemane, and when I was there, I got a better picture of that eastern gate. Here it is right here. Uh, You can get a a feel for just how big this place is, but as you can see, that eastern gate is sealed up. Actually, the original one is under that, but and what what you can see is it's sealed up, and then in front of it, those white things, it's kind of hard to make out. You know what those are? Those are tombs. Those were put there in 1540 by a Muslim sultan who was part of the Ottoman Empire. And he was so afraid of the Messiah entering Jerusalem through the east that he walled it up and put a a graveyard in front of it because he thought the Messiah would never go through there. But what he didn't realize is even by doing that, he was fulfilling prophecy. Ezekiel 44, verse 2, The Lord said to me, The gate is to remain shut 
It must not be opened. No one may enter through it. It is to remain shut because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered through it. Even the shutting of this gate is the fulfillment of prophecy. We got up on Temple Mount, and I took some video of the eastern gate from the other side. And there are soldiers inside here. It is under strict Palestinian authority, day and night, keeping watch over this eastern gate, sealed shut. And the Jews are still thinking, someday Messiah's going to come, and he's going to enter in through those eastern gates. Friends, Messiah already came and entered through those eastern gates. He came on the back of a donkey as people were shouting, here comes the king. And someday, according to prophet Zechariah, Jesus is going to return again and he's going to touch down on Mount Zion and he's going to walk into Jerusalem through that eastern gate. And I can promise you right now, a walled up entrance and a graveyard ain't going to be enough to stop him. The king is returning. And that's just, that's just another prophecy. Can I, can I give you one more fulfilled in this day? This is Daniel 9, 25, written so long before the birth of Jesus. It says, no one understands this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven is a seven-year period. Now, now, follow me on this. This is bananas. Okay, the Hebrew calendar of the year was 360 days. So multiply that by seven, you get 2,520 days. That's one period of seven. Daniel said there'll be 69 seven-year periods. So you multiply 2,520 days by 69, that comes out to 173,880 days. Now, according to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, there was a pronouncement of when the rebuilding of Jerusalem was announced. And so between the rebuilding of Jerusalem all the way to Jesus' triumphal entry, any guesses on how many days expired? 173,880 days on the nose. Friends, this isn't just some book. This is the word of God testifying to the truth of God. It's not just another book amongst religions. This, this is where you learn about who God is. This is where you go to believe the right things. And amazingly, so many people in the crowd miss it. And the popular voice of our culture will continue to miss it. And that's why it's so important for all of us to not get caught up in the crowd, but to make sure we are locked in on God's word so that we believe the right thing. Following Jesus is both believing the right thing and submitting to the right king. It's not just having the correct information, but it's also about posturing yourself under the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what is is really fascinating about the final week of Jesus. He saved this week for some of his harshest teaching. He flipped over tables of money changers. He pronounced woes on the, the Pharisees. He even said that, said the temple's going to be destroyed and he's going to rebuild it back in three days and they were ready to lose their minds. And then Jesus delivered one of his most difficult statements. This is Matthew Chapter 22, verse 37, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The literal neighbor was the Roman Empire. And people started hearing Jesus talking about all this love stuff. This isn't the kind of king they wanted. 
The king they wanted, it's kind of like the movies, you know, the guy who, who gives us his inspirational speech in front of all the soldiers. You know, things like, they may take our lives, but they won't take our freedom. Then everybody starts going, ah, and they, you know, charge the enemy. Instead, Jesus is like, love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's really hard to kill your neighbor when you're busy loving him. And they started realizing very quickly, this is not the king who's going to help us overthrow Rome. And that's when they started turning on him. You see, they loved Jesus. They just didn't want to submit to him. And you and I do the same thing, don't we? How many of us say, Jesus, I love you, but as far as submitting to you, well, that's a whole other story. Submitting to Jesus is saying, here is my life. I don't hold it in my hands. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. You tell me where you want me to go. You tell me what you want to do with my life, and I'll submit to you. A verse that so many believers have committed to memory is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. And I've heard many well-intentioned believers say, I really need my path to be straight. So I'm going to trust in the Lord. And that's where our emphasis goes. And we totally miss this part right here. In all your ways, submit to him. In all your ways. See, what we want from Jesus is we want him to, to clear out the fog of our future. But are we willing to submit ourselves under his rule. I've heard people say things before like, you know, I tried Jesus, but it just didn't work. That's because you didn't submit to him. You can't try Jesus. That's like saying, I tried death. You're either dead or you're alive. You'll never hear somebody say, you know, I tried death. It wasn't for me. Turns out I'm more of a life kind of person. No, you can't try out death any more than you could try out Jesus. You see, the people then, they had an expectation of Jesus that he was going to complete their agenda. You and I do the same things all the time too, don't we? We come to Jesus with an agenda. Heal my marriage, fix my kids, get me the job, help me to be rich, help the judge to side with me in the court case. And when Jesus doesn't come through on our expectations, we quit on him instead of submitting to him. Friends, listen, Jesus is the ultimate authority when it comes to life, okay? He's the king. The king doesn't live in Washington, D.C. Joe Biden is not the king. Some Republican contender is not going to be the king. Vladimir Putin is not the king. President Xi of China, not the king. Not even LeBron, who calls himself King James, is the king, okay? Now, all of these people have some level of authority, but ultimate authority only resides in Jesus Christ, the king of kings. We don't get to tell him how to be king. The people love Jesus. They just didn't want to submit to him. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you say, I, I'm going to believe all of the right things and I'm going to love Jesus, but you're not willing to submit to him, you're not a follower. See, very often we say to be a Christian, you have to... Invite Jesus into your life to be your personal Lord and Savior. We love the Savior part, and we should, right? Who doesn't love the idea of all of your sins being forgiven? Every bad thing you've ever done or ever will do, forgiven. Who doesn't love the idea of racking up credit card debt and someone else coming and paying it off? 
We love that aspect of Jesus, as we should. But what does it mean to invite Jesus into your life as your Lord? Lord's another word for king. And it's saying, Jesus, I am getting on my knees with open hands, and I'm giving you my life. I submit to you. You tell me what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're the king. I submit to you. The, the kings of Israel have died more than any other nation of the world. You want to know why? The kings of Israel were frontline fighters. Unlike many other armies where the king would be all the way at the back, the kings of Israel would go to the front. They would lay their lives down for the people. Which is why maybe some of the, the crowd were kind of getting tired of Jesus. He didn't really seem like a frontline kind of king. Here's another aspect to consider. The Passover festival had all these requirements. And one of the requirements was that on the 10th day of the month, you brought your sacrificial lamb into the temple area to come present to the temple. This, this lamb was supposed to atone for your sins. I did this every single year. Any guesses on which day of the month Jesus entered into Jerusalem? The 10th of the month. The same day sacrificial lambs are brought into the temple. Jesus would be the perfect sacrificial lamb to atone for the sins of the people. And then, four days later, on the ninth hour, is when you slaughtered the lamb. Any guesses as to when Jesus went to the cross? Four days later, at the ninth hour, he was slaughtered. The substitute for the sins of the world, the perfect lamb without defect, sacrificed for us once and for all. Turns out Jesus was a frontline kind of king. He laid his life down for the people. Do you know this Jesus? Maybe you've believed the wrong things about him, and that's gotten you all twisted up. But today you want to really have a relationship with him. Maybe you just have never submitted to Jesus. Maybe you believe the right things, but you've never really said, Jesus, I'm going to lay my life down, and I want to put it in your hands. You do with it what you want. Maybe today is the day you want to invite Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never intentionally done that, if you've never cried out to him and admitted your sins before him and believed in faith that he died in your place and committed to following him, I can help you do that today. In just a moment, I could lead you in a prayer that you could repeat after me in the silence of your own heart. But here's the deal. There's, they're, they're nothing but words unless your faith is really what actualizes them, unless you really believe this for yourself. So if you want to invite Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior, I want to ask you right now to bow your heads, close your eyes, search your own heart. If you want to give your life to Jesus in the silence of your own heart, repeat these words after me. Jesus, today I give you my life. Jesus, today I give you my life. I confess my sins to you. They're my fault. But I believe in faith you died in my place. And today I ask you to forgive me. Change my heart, oh God. Make me clean. Help me leave my old life behind. 
and truly follow you. I submit to you, my King. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. On your programs, as Pastor Anthony mentioned, right below here, it says, I said yes. You can fill that out. Check, check that box. Drop it in the offering bag when it comes on. This little card just tears right off. And that will give us a chance to follow up with you and help you grow in the Lord. Maybe you've already invited Christ into your life, but you're not growing. You want to take that next step. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Our staff will interact with you and help you get plugged in, small groups, serving. Maybe you want to find some, some people to help you grow. You want to need some assistance. Whatever the case is, text NEXT to 909-281-7797 or stop by the Next Step table before you head out of here. Next week, we are going to look at Monday, the day after Palm Sunday and what Jesus did then. Who is someone you could invite with you to Sunrise Church to hear a message all about the life of Jesus? Friends, listen. The crowds are alluring. The crowds are always going to be there. We're all going to face the temptation to just follow the crowd. But here's the thing about crowds. Crowds are fickle. One day they love you. The next day they're done with you. Jesus said, enter the narrow gate. Go down the narrow road. Friends, let's not get caught up in the crowd. Let's not get caught up with what the popular movement is. Let's instead endure down that narrow road and let's follow Christ, not the crowd. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for loving us so much that you would send your son to die on our behalf. Thank you for Jesus for for, for, for laying his life down as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And God, I pray today if there's anyone in here who's never connected the dots with their beliefs and have never bowed their knee before you as the king over their life, that they would not leave this place without doing so. Father, as we prepare to give our gifts, our tithes and offerings to you, Lord, I pray that you would multiply these gifts and use them to make an impact in this church and our community all around the globe for the glory of God. Jesus, we thank you. We could never thank you enough for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for sticking with people like us. People who are so fickle, who get caught up in the crowd, thank you for sticking with us, Lord. Thank you for loving us so much that you would die for us. We praise your holy name in this place today. We pray in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus. And if you agree in your heart, then let the church say, Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.